Our first scripture comes from Psalm chapter 22, verses 1 to 11. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he, was born, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made him grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong." because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Our third scripture comes from Mark chapter 15, verses 21 through 41. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. 
and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them, to, to decide what each should take. And it was, this, it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the description of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Well, we celebrate Good Friday today. This day, the, the most ironic of days, because nothing is as it's supposed to be. Nothing is as it seems. Everything today on Good Friday is backwards and upside down. There's darkness during the day. And on this day, we call the most horrific act in all of history good. The king of kings does what kings never do. He bows his head and surrenders. The immortal God dies a mortal criminal's death. The most innocent person who ever lived bears the guilt of the world. He who is perfect, pure, and righteous experiences relentless and abject shame and humiliation. Nothing is as it's supposed to be. Nothing is as it seems. But on this day, it's on this day that Jesus undoes sin. He reverses the curse. He's swallowed up by death. Do you remember in the garden, Adam and Eve, they're separated from God because they disobey God about the tree. 
They can no longer access the tree of life. But on Good Friday, Jesus does the opposite. He obeys God about another tree, the cross. And what does he get for his obedience? Separation from God. He's separated from God so that we can be reunited to God. When Adam and Eve, they, they, they sin against God for the first time, immediately their reflex response is to run, is to hide from God. And they cover themselves up from one another. They desperately grab whatever they can, and in their case, it's fig leaves. And they're hiding there, trembling. And what does God do? He comes and he looks for them. He looks for them. He calls out to them. He says, Adam, where are you? And he finds Adam and Eve there. They're they're hiding in the garden. They're, They're wearing fig leaves that absolutely cannot cover their shame. And even as God judges their sin, he promises to send them a savior. The seed of the woman, God says, will crush the head of the serpent. This is God saying to them, I'm sending you away now because of what you did, but but, but I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back to me. That's the heart of God. Even as he judges our sin, he promises grace. And then what does he do? He slaughters an animal. This is the first time that we ever see death in the Bible. God slaughters an animal, he takes the skin, and he covers the shame of his beloved. It's like even as he sends them out and casts them out of the garden, he sends them covered and clothed. That is the heart of God. It was a preview of what God would do on Good Friday. Because Jesus is the seed of the woman who crushes the head of the serpent at the cross. Jesus, the beloved son, is slaughtered by the Father. And through this sacrifice, our sin, our shame is covered. Jesus, how did he die? He died uncovered and naked upon the cross so that our sin would be covered and atoned for. And I want to say this this evening, that Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. It's something we hear all the time. But I I, I want us to really think about that. That Jesus didn't just die for nameless masses and crowds. Jesus didn't just die for the world, he died for me. As Jesus hung on the cross, it was your name he thought of. It was your face he saw. Jesus didn't just die for the general sins of the world, but he died for your sin, for your anger, for your sinful thoughts for your lies, for your past. He took it all. 
Jesus took it all, and there's no sin left. There's nothing left to forgive. There's not a single drop of guilt left. So we can stop trying to hide from God. We can stop trying to cover ourselves from one another with fig leaves. You are clean in Christ. You are righteous. You are pure no matter what you've done. The cross is enough. It's enough. So I want to ask you this evening, how will you respond? If we look at the passage that was just read, everybody responds in the passage in Mark 15 in an interesting way. And what's interesting is that nobody responds the way that the world expects them to. Nobody. For example, the chief priests and the scribes are there. They have one job. Their one purpose is to worship God and to help others worship God. That's their sole purpose. But instead of worshiping God, what are they doing? They're mocking God. They're mocking God. They're rolling their eyes. They're shaking their heads and their fists at Jesus. They're saying, he saved others. He can't even save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Just dripping with sarcasm. That's not the way it should be. The disciples, Jesus' closest friends. Disciple literally means follower. Their one job, their one purpose, follow Jesus. But they are glaringly absent from the scene. They are not at the cross. Just like the priest, they are doing the exact opposite of what they're supposed to do. These men, these supposed leaders of the faith, who stood right by Jesus when Jesus was popular, when things were going well, have now abandoned him in his shame. That's not the way it's supposed to be. But there are those who the world has overlooked. There are those who the world did not expect to display courage, but they're the most courageous people here. And they're the women who refuse to leave the Lord. Verse 40, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. While all the male disciples are notably gone, Mark goes out of his way to emphasize that there were many, many Women with Jesus in Jerusalem. In Jesus' time of greatest need, it is the women who rally to him and refuse to leave. This is not what the world expects. There's one more person I want to talk about. Verse 39. 
And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. There's one person in this narrative who has a front row view of the execution. Mark tells us that there was a centurion who was facing Jesus. That means he was right there up close. And this man lived a life of violence and brutality that we can't even imagine in service to Rome. How many crucifixions had he supervised? How many deaths had he witnessed or even caused? This crucifixion should have been routine, just another one amongst thousands of crucifixions. But this centurion sees Jesus dies and he knows right away there's something different about this person. There's something different about this death. This is no ordinary man. What does it take for a hardened Roman who is probably not religious to say from the depths of his being, truly this must have been the Son of God? No one responds the way that they should. Nothing is as it seems, but again, this is Good Friday. Beloved of God, friends, I want to ask you, how will you respond today to the cross of Jesus Christ? Will you leave like the disciples, afraid of how the world will think of you, how the world will treat you because of your faith? Will you join maybe with those who mock Jesus and mock his followers? Or will you, like the women, remain, refuse to leave? Will you say with the Apostle Paul, I resolve to know nothing except for Jesus Christ and him crucified? Because for the Christian, Jesus truly is the Son of God. There is no one like him, and the cross never gets old. Will you respond today in faith, repenting of your sins, believing, surrendering, trusting in Jesus? Will you respond in thanksgiving and in joy? And will you come now to Jesus right here at this table where he wants to commune and meet with you? As we approach the table today, I want to read this quote from a pastor in our denomination named David Cassidy. I love this quote. He says this, It's Good Friday. The sun will refuse to shine on the spectacle of the crucified creator, but in that shadow is our salvation. Today, the naked Savior strips bare the powers of darkness and robes us in his righteousness. Today, he sheds his precious blood to make us his own, dying to give us life, singing his love over us, with every sigh and cry of redeeming pain. Let us rejoice in this mercy. Give thanks. 
The glory of the cross is ours because the horror of the cross was his.